This morning, we're going to look at the birth of Jesus Christ being foretold. So please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and let's look at verse 26. Verse 26. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read uh, verses 26 through 38 together. When you find Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and get stood, shout amen. All right. In the sixth month, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, all, uh, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for another occasion. Thank you for another Lord's Day. God, we're thankful that you woke us up this morning and gave us the breath of life. Father, we're thankful that you provided this space for us together as as a body of believers, as Hope in Christ Fellowship. Father, we're so thankful, we're most thankful that you're here among us. Your word promises is where two or three believers are gathered together, you're there in the midst. And Father, it is evident by the power and the moving of your Holy Spirit that you're with us here today. And we're so honored, we're so privileged. Father, I pray right now as we look into your word, Father, I know that I absolutely have nothing to say. But Father, I know that your word has much to say. And I know through the power of the Holy Spirit, your word will go forth today and accomplish everything you set it out to accomplish. Now, Father, every person in the room today who knows and believes you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see your word today, ears to hear your word, to hear truth, minds to comprehend and understand, and, Father, a heart willing to receive and live in obedience to you. 
Father, we pray this morning that if any among us is lost and undone, that this is the morning that you give them faith and repentance and allow them to believe in their heart and confess their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Any other need amongst any of your children here today, Father, we pray that your perfect will be accomplished in their hearts and lives. We pray all of this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen. Be seated, if you will. I want us to look back at verse 26 and... Uh, on the front end of this message, what I want to do is, is do just, some, just do some word studies. And then in the heart of the message, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and put out your listening guides, if you will. If you have a listening guide, we've got about five points we're going to make right in the heart of this message. But before that and after that, I just want us to look at some of the uh, words that we find here. Uh, sometimes we go so fast through the Bible or so fast through a passage that we kind of get to the heart of it and we miss some of the highlights that God has put in there on purpose. As we know, Luke is a very meticulous writer. He's a physician. He's a doctor. He's an educated man. He's a well-trained man. He's a smart man. And he he includes a lot of details in his writing. And I don't think he has anything in there extra that we don't need to know about. I think everything that he says has some importance to us. And it helps us know and understand God better. It helps us know and understand his plan and his will for our lives some better. There in verse 26, I've underlined the scriptures that I want to touch on as we pass through here. The first thing I want us to look at this morning, it says it's in the sixth month. In the sixth month. Some may say the sixth month of what? Well, if you read up before that, as we was talking last week, uh, God had sent Gabriel to visit Zacharias. He was burning incense in the temple and promised him that in their old age, him and Elizabeth being barren, they're in their old age, promises them they are going to miraculously become parents in their old age. We studied that a bit. We looked back to Abraham and Sarah and how that they were in their old age and how that they were barren, but God promised them a son and it came to pass. Well, the same happened as Gabriel visited Zechariah and Elizabeth. They too, when he went home from serving in the temple, uh, they, they, they became pregnant And the Bible says that for five months she hid herself. And we talked about that a little bit. Most likely, the Bible doesn't elaborate on it, but most likely they were just celebrating and taking in what God was doing in their hearts and lives. They were old. They didn't feel like getting around, getting out and cruising around on a camel, visiting Walmart, telling everybody what was going on. They wanted to kind of keep to themselves and just celebrate all that God was doing in their lives. So when this begins, the sixth month, it's referring back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. So in the sixth month, refers back to the month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which just tells us that Luke is paying careful attention to details here. Why? Because as we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, Luke said that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We are certain that the Word of God is the Word of God today. Can I get an amen? We are certain that God breathed His Scripture from His mouth into the hearts and minds of men, and men wrote down under the leadership of the Holy Spirit everything God commanded them to write down. We have this. We trust this. If any part of this book is untrue or false, or if it can be proven not to be true, then we're in a boatload of trouble. Because my eternity is hanging on every syllable of this book. Do you believe that today? Your eternity is hanging on every syllable 
of this book. Luke says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Again, we see Gabriel making an appearance here. We see Gabriel. He's an archangel of heaven. God has sent him five months later to uh, notify Mary that she's going to become pregnant, that she's going to become supernaturally pregnant. She's going to be miraculously becoming pregnant as a virgin. She's never been with a man. She's never had sex. There's no way this young lady could become pregnant unless the Holy Spirit of God speaks her pregnant. Unless God himself speaks her pregnant, she's not going to be pregnant. So Gabriel shows up again, and he begins to tell her the great news of what God is going to do in their life. The Bible says that they're, they're from the little town called Nazareth. Little town called Nazareth. This is a game changer. This is a game changer. We'll see again as we get into chapter 2 of Luke that God is not coming to the wealthy and the rich. God is not coming to the wealthy and the powerful. God's not going to do His miracle through the elite of planet Earth. God is going to do His miracle in His plan through the lowly, through the poor, through the have-nots. Why? Because that's God's plan. Mary and Joseph is very poor. The Bible doesn't tell us much about this man by the name of Joseph other than he's a carpenter by trade. Carpenters by trade in that day and time were not wealthy individuals. They, they lived paycheck to paycheck. They barely got by. The Bible says that when it comes time for her to, to deliver in Luke chapter 2, that they have to travel a long distance to Jerusalem because of the census. And when they get there, there's no, no, there's no room for them. Now, you would believe and you would know and you would assume that if Joseph and Mary had been anyone important, when they showed up in Jerusalem somebody somewhere would have made room for them. Someone, someone would have invited them into their house. Oh, Mary and Joseph in town. We've got to make room for those folks. They're important. No, they were nobodies. They were nobodies. I'm thankful this morning for Hope in Christ Fellowship. Now, I'm not looking out across the audience and I'm not calling anybody here a nobody, but I'm just going to inform you, without Jesus Christ, every single one of us are nobodies. I don't care how much money you got in the bank. I don't care how big a house you live in. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what kind of car you drive, what the size of your retirement is. Listen, it all boils down to this. We are all sinners in the sight of God. We've all sinned against God. We're paupers. We're as dirt poor as they come when it comes to spiritual matters. But now, because we've been saved and born again, we are somebody's in the eyes of Jesus. We're somebody in the eyes of the Father. But before He came, we were the poor in spirit Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm glad that we have a church. I'm glad that we have a fellowship that we don't discriminate on where people are from or what they have or what they don't have or the fancy clothes or the not fancy clothes or the fancy houses or the not fancy houses. I am so thankful that Hope in Christ Fellowship loves God so much that we're able to love people where they are, wherever they are in life. And we welcome people in and we love on them and we give them a place to worship and hear about Jesus Christ. But the town of Nazareth, the MacArthur Bible study says this, says Nazareth was an obscure town 70 miles north of Jerusalem. So you can just imagine when Mary and Joseph leaves Nazareth to go to Jerusalem, 
They're going to ride horseback or they're going to ride on a donkey's back for 70 miles. That would be about like traveling from here to Nashville. Now, if you want to try that, go ahead and tell me how it works for you. But I'm not about to climb on a donkey and ride to Nashville anytime soon. That just tells you the misery they were in. Could you imagine being nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey from Monterey to Nashville to give birth? It says it was a place of lowly reputation. They were farmers. And farmers in that day didn't drive $70,000 dualies and $150,000 John Deere tractors. They barely scraped by. They barely got by. These are poor people. A place of lowly reputation. And nowhere is Nazareth mentioned in the Old Testament. So even the town itself is a nothing town full of nobodies. And that's who God is coming to. It says, and still more, a still more likely explanation is that people from the region were often characterized as despised and detestable. So Mary and Joseph, they're nobodies that are loved by somebody and called of God and used of God in a supernatural way. And as we see more closely in chapter 2, God in His sovereignty, God in His providence chooses lowly common people. The type of people that most despise and most people detest to carry out His eternal plan of redemption. Nazareth. John chapter 1, verse 43 through 46. says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. This is Jesus calling His disciples. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Peter, I mean, Philip found Nathanael and said of him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. These men are excited. Guess what? We have found Jesus. We have found Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's your opinion on this side of history? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What about Jesus, the Savior of the world? Huh? Absolutely. And Philip said, well, I love this response. Come see. You know, today we'd say, well, come see for yourself. If you don't believe me, you come check it out. Let me know what you think. Verse 27. Verse 27 teaches us that Gabriel came to visit a virgin. Now there is no human way that I can emphasize the importance of Mary being a virgin. Our, our belief system, Christianity itself, hangs on the fact that Mary was a virgin. The virgin birth spoke of in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Isaiah 7.14 speaks of this miracle. In Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. This has been promised thousands of years ago. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, 
not just a lady, not just a girl, not just a woman, but a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, All this took place. Again, another gospel, another writer by the name of Matthew writes this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, speaking of Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now this is where I want you to pull out your listening guides and begin to do some filling in the blank, if you will. Why is the one... Why is this one doctrine so important? Why is it absolutely emphatic that we know and believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of y'all may be familiar with the Blue Letter Bible, a wonderful study resource. If you don't already use it, look it up and begin to use it in your Bible study time. has this perfect outline, I believe, of why the doctrine of virgin birth is so important. So this morning, I want to give you five reasons. Five reasons. There's thousands, there's millions more, but let me give you five reasons why it's imperative that we believe in the virgin birth. And I know what you're saying. But Steve, you're preaching to a group of Christians. I believe I am. I believe I am. But there could be people sitting in this audience right here among us today who's lost and done without Jesus. And I believe with all my heart, you must believe that Jesus is virgin born to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Not to count the hundreds of people that watch us through Facebook and YouTube. So why do we preach these elementary doctrines, these elementary principles? Because they're vital to eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Follow along and you listen to God, if you will, this morning. Number one, why is it imperative that we believe in the doctrine of the virgin birth? Number one, Jesus had a heavenly origin. Jesus had a heavenly origin. The most important reason to hold the belief in the virgin birth concerns Jesus' as, identity as God's Son, the second person of the Trinity. That's who Jesus is. Jesus had a heavenly origin. If, G, if Joseph were his true father, in other words, if Joseph and Mary had come together and had sexual relations and Jesus was of that pregnancy, then Jesus would not have been the Son of God. Vitally important that we know and believe that virgin, that Mary was a virgin before her and Joseph ever came together and had the other children that they had. Jesus would have only been a human being. Now, Jesus came, and miraculously, God came to us in the form of Jesus, and He was fully human, but He was fully God all at the same time. That folds right into this doctrine. Hebrews teaches how that He's our great high priest, how He was tempted just as we are tempted in every way, yet without sin. He would have had His beginning in time rather than eternally existing. If Jesus had been created in Mary's womb, then Jesus would not be the Son of God. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Thus, the virgin birth is crucial to Jesus being the Son of God. Number two, Jesus had a sinless nature. Jesus had a sinless nature. That is, when Jesus came to earth, He was sinless. As Jesus remained on earth, the 30 plus years that He lived here, He remained sinless. When He went back to glory, He was still sinless. He has forever been sinless. He will forever be sinless. Why? Because He became the perfect Lamb of God who could qualify to go to the cross of Calvary and be the ultimate sacrifice for sin, shedding His blood. His blood is what washes us of our sins and declares us holy and forgiven in His name. Jesus had a sinless nature. He had to have a sinless character or He could not have been the Son of God. If Jesus had a human father, he would have inherited a sinful nature just like the rest of us. We're all born into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you believe that today? It's what the Bible teaches. We are all sinners by an inherent nature given to us by our father. It was Adam that God went to before Eve was ever uh, created from Adam's rib. And it was Adam that God told him, don't you dare eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you do, you will die. People want to point the blame. Adam put the blame on Eve in the garden. Well, that woman you gave me. But guess what? Eve was Adam's responsibility because God had spoke to Adam and commanded him not to eat of that tree, which means Adam was to protect Eve Adam was to protect Cain and Abel and Seth and all their descendants. It was Adam's responsibility to follow God. Men, it's your job and my job to follow God. It's my job and your job to bring our wives along with us. The two shall become one. We are to lead our wives. We are to lead our children. We are to lead our grandchildren. Listen, following God, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The responsibility is on the man. It's, the, it, it's a day and time in our culture that men need to step up. I'll say it one more time, make you good and mad. It's time men, Christian men in America today, stand up and be the men God has called us to be. To be the Christian leaders in the home. Let our wives and our children and our grandchildren see us reading God's Word on a day-to-day basis. Our, our, our wives, our children, our grandchildren need to catch us praying often. They need to see us sharing the gospel. We need to be, we must be the spiritual leaders of our home if we're going to be the spiritual leaders of our community and if we're going to be the spiritual leaders of our church or our Bible fellowship, we must be who God has called us to be. And there's no excuse when we aren't. No excuse when we aren't. If Jesus had a human father, then He would have inherited a sinful nature just like the rest of us. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. If Jesus had had an earthly father, Jesus too would have been born a sinner, and he wasn't. Is it important that we believe in the doctrine of the virgin birth? Amen and amen. 
To the contrary, Scripture states that Jesus never sinned. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, He, speaking of Jesus, committed no sin. Do you believe this Scripture today? Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. John testified in 1 John 3, 5, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. Well, a sinner can't take away sins. You have to have a sinless Savior who can take away our sins. Not only take away our sins, but take away the penalty of our sins, that we can be the forgiven of God, the children of God, that we can inherit eternal life and spend eternity with God in heaven. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. If Jesus were the son of Joseph, then his sinless character would only be a myth. Number three, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. The third reason why the virgin birth is crucial to the Christian faith concerns our salvation. Without the sinlessness of Christ, without the sinlessness of Christ, there would be no salvation. There would be no salvation. Christ came, according to the Apostle Paul, to save those who were under the law. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when God decided it was time to reveal salvation, to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Say His Son this morning. God sent His Son... Born of woman, the Virgin Mary, born under the law, Old Testament law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons of God, as daughters of God. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. In Old Testament times, once the the sacrificial system had been set up, We know that there was bulls and goats and doves and all kinds of birds and other animals that that when a person sinned, they would have to take the choice of their flock or the choice animals that they they could get their hands on and deliver them to the priest. And the priest would slaughter those animals and sacrifice those animals and blood was poured out upon the altar uh, for the forgiveness of sins. But we never received under the law forgiveness of sins. Sin was always just pushed forward and pushed forward, and pushed forward. That's the fulfillment of this Scripture. When the fullness of time came, God sent His Son through the Virgin Mary, born under the law, under the Old Testament law system of sacrifice, to redeem those who were under the law. How? By becoming the perfect sacrifice that was slain one time, shed His blood one time for all sin, for all generations, so that we all might be saved, those who call on his name. He was the perfect sacrifice. This, this echoes Jesus' own statement in Luke 19 and 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you glad for the seeking Savior this morning who seeks and saves lost people? God required a sacrifice that was without blemish. In Exodus 12, 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. If Jesus was a sinner in any sense of the word, then he could not have provided salvation for us. 
But because He came into the world by supernatural means and lived a sinless life, He became that sacrifice for our sins without any spot, without any blemish, without any sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, for our sake, God made Jesus, God made Him be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Aren't you thankful today for the sinless Savior? Number four, it shows the uniqueness of Christ. It shows the uniqueness of Christ. What the virgin birth does is show the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. No one had ever come into the world the same way that Jesus came into the world. The unique and miraculous nature of Jesus carried on through His eternal life. His birth was a miracle. His public ministry consisted of miracles. Jesus miraculously lived a sinless life. He miraculously came back from the dead and left this world in a miraculous way. Because Jesus is the miraculous Savior of the world. From His entrance into the world and to His departure, the life of Jesus was a miracle. Number five. Number five. I like this one. Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. Have you ever seen such an attack upon the Word of God? See, if, if, if the world could do away with the word, word of God, guess what they could do? They could do as they please. The Bible is the foundation for everything that is right. The Bible is the foundation for everything that is wrong. If it's right, it's because the Bible says it's right. And if it's wrong, it's because the Bible says it's wrong. It is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And all of existence stands upon the foundation of the Word of God. I'll go to my grave. I'll go to glory believing everything I just said. And I'll defend it to my death. I'll defend it against anyone who dares... Who dares to attack it? I'm going to stand upon the Word of God. I'm going to declare the Word of God. I'm going to preach the Word of God. I'm going to share the Word of God. I'm basing my life here and my life for all of eternity upon the Word of God. And I believe Jesus is who He says He is. I believe Mary is who she says she was. I believe Joseph is who he says he was. And I believe most importantly God the Father is who He says He is because the Word of God says so. Not because the Baptists say so, or the Methodists say so, or the Nazarenes say so, or the Pentecostals say so, or the Catholics say so. I believe it because God said so in God's Word. And that settles it. And that settles it. The fifth reason to believe in the virgin birth is simply because the Bible says so. The Bible says so. The doctrine of the virgin birth and the credibility of Christianity... They go hand in hand, don't they? All right, let's move on. Verse, verse 27. A few more words that I want to speak on, and we'll come to a close this morning. Verse 27. A word foreign to us in our daily culture that we live in today. It says, to a virgin, betrothed or betrothed, however you want to pronounce that. What does that mean? It speaks of Mary and Joseph's relationship. 
We don't practice this in America today. The closest thing we would have to this would be called an engagement. But in biblical times, being betrothed was more serious than being engaged. Marriage was a process. Marriage was a process. Most of the time, the, the, the young man and the young lady that was going to be married was married under a prearranged marriage plan by the parents. It wouldn't go to school and find the hottest lady you can or, or go to the school and find the biggest hunk you can and, and, and come together with those folks and start talking, as they say today. We courted back in my days. My grandpa and grandma said they sparked. I mean, you know, just change the word any way you want to. It's the same thing. You take a liking to her, she takes a liking to you, and next thing you know, sparks are flying. You're courting. You're carrying on. That'd be a bad word. You know, but holding hands. I'm talking about holding hands and a little kiss on the cheek. That's what I'm talking about now. But they were betrothed. They were betrothed. In Bible times, this meant that this was more binding than modern-day engagements. It was virtually a form of marriage. It was in the process of becoming completely married. The difference, uh, the difference being the couple didn't yet live together. They had not yet consummated their union, but still, as the Bible teaches us here, it would still require a divorce if they decided to part ways. That's why in Matthew's Gospel, when the angel appears to Joseph and tells him Mary is going to be pregnant, when the word comes to him and he can't comprehend it and he can't filter it through his mind, he, he considers divorcing her. Because the only way on the planet then, as today, the only way on the planet today you can become pregnant is when your egg meets a sperm. That's the only way it's going to happen. The only way it happened up till now and the only way it happened from then forward. This is a miraculous birth. When Joseph heard it, he was much troubled and he considered putting her away privately. He loved her so much, he didn't want to, he didn't want to open her up to, to shame and scandal and all those things. The Bible says he considered divorcing her privately in a hush-hush manner as to not bring shame to her. But then God convinced him, listen, she's a virgin. She's not been with a man. She has become pregnant because God has spoken His Son into her womb. That's how she became pregnant. Here we're, we're introduced to Joseph. Again, the Bible doesn't say much about Joseph other than he is the lineage of the king of David, which fulfills more Old Testament Scripture because Jesus has always been promised to sit on the throne as his father David did and rule for all of eternity and, and then his kingdom would never come to an end. But his earthly father, who would be married to his earthly mother, would be Joseph, would be Joseph. Mary, the same is true about Mary. The Bible doesn't give much history about Mary other than she had found favor with God. She had found favor with God. In verse 30, it expounds on that a little bit. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, without adding to Scripture, I wouldn't dare add to Scripture, I'm sure it's safe to say that like Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary too, were living righteously before God. Don't you believe that? I believe they were living righteously under the law 
before God. I believe they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and all the statutes of the Lord. Now, you have found favor with God is worded different in the Catholic Bible because in the Catholic Bible, they want to put this huge emphasis on Mary and take away from Jesus. Now, the same is true of what we say around here every Sunday, even back then. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And right here, it's not about Mary, and it's not about Joseph. It's all about Jesus. The Catholics want to teach and preach that, that Mary was this super spectacular, grace-filled woman that, that, that God really didn't have to choose. She stuck out from the crowd already. And, and, and God really didn't have to make a choice because Mary was so super special that it was all about her. And going forward, we have to go through Mary to get to Jesus. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Mary's just a simple little nobody girl from the town of Nazareth who was living right before God. And in God's sovereignty, He chose Mary to become the virgin who would become pregnant through the Holy Spirit's power, through the spoken Word of God. And she simply would be the lady who was chosen to carry Jesus and give birth to Him. No more, no less. No more, no less. She had found favor with God. There was no special grace being given to Mary. And we can thank God that Ephesians 1.6 says this, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. As much as Mary was blessed, guess what? You are blessed. As much as Mary was blessed, guess what? I was blessed. In Jesus Christ, we're all blessed and all glory and honor goes to God not to Mary. Can I get an amen? Verse number 31. And behold, and behold, Gabriel is explaining this to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son. And like Gabriel was speaking to Zechariah and Elizabeth, you'll call his name John. Why? Because God said so. You will call this baby's name Jesus. Why? Because God said so. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Old Testament word Joshua. Redeemer, Savior, Lord. On and on and on. God chose who we would be born to, what His name would be. Why? Because from eternity past, God had a plan. And it will be carried out through eternity in the future. And there's not a thing we can do to discredit or do anything about it. It's God's plan of redemption for you and I. Verse 32 and 33. Call His name Jesus. Why? Because He will be great. Now, the angels also said that uh, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth would be great, but He would be great here on planet Earth. And that would be the end of it. He would be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have a great work to do. He would go before Jesus preaching repentance and water baptism. Why? Setting the stage for the greatest one of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, for He shall save His people from their sins. John could not save people from their sins. The act of repentance and water baptism under the law that John preached did not bring about salvation. It just prepared people's hearts 
getting ready for salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said the Son of the Most High, as we discussed in point one of the importance of the virgin birth, He is the Son of Almighty God. He will be part of the throne. He will sit upon the throne of His father David. Jesus being in the bloodline of King David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will be the eternal one setting upon all thrones. Why? Because He will be the King of kings and He will be the Lord of lords. Can I get an amen? And of His kingdom there will be no end. As I said a while ago, John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus, the Son of the Most High, Sing upon the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Revelation. Pastor Darrell just walked us through Revelation verse by verse by verse by verse. And thank you for doing such a marvelous, wonderful job walking us through the book of Revelation. Revelation declares to us, He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There's none before Him and none after Him. He's it. Can I get an amen? Jesus has forever been, and Jesus will forever be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 35. Verse 35 tells us how, how all of this is going to take place. Here's how this is going to happen. And the angel said, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And here's how I believe about the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's ever bit as important as God the Father is. He's ever bit as important as Jesus, the Son of God, is. He is important, though He's oftentimes neglected. Without the Holy Spirit, we'll never see God. Without the Holy Spirit, we'll never see heaven. Without the Holy Spirit, we'll never have a wonderful worship experience because Jesus told the, 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 the Samaritan lady at the well, God seeks people who will worship Him, how? In spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Mary becomes pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. We become believers through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. We are born again and saved through the sacrificial sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary. And on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit. He is a down payment on the inside of our hearts guaranteeing us a home in heaven one day after a while. He brings with Him gifts. He brings with Him gifts, spiritual gifts, that make us part of the body of Christ. Make us part of the body of Christ. The Bible says He seals us until the day of redemption. When we don't know how to pray, He prays for us. He guides us. He directs us according to the perfect will of God, according to the perfect Word of God. The Holy Spirit's a big deal is what I'm trying to say. If you're hearing me, I'll move on. There you go. We'll move on. It says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The best example of this that we can find would be for us to go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now just picture this. The earth is without form. It's void. It's a nothing. It's just a big old mass of nothing. And darkness is over the face of the deep. Now look here. And the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God is one and the same. And when God got ready to create the heavens and the earth, now remember John 1.1, in the beginning, and the Word, and the Word was with God. So there's God, and there's Jesus, and here's the Holy Spirit. They're inseparable, people. They're inseparable. And here in creation, in the beginning, God is creating the heavens and the earth, and the earth is without form and void, and darkness is upon the face of it, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, How did Mary become pregnant? Because the Holy Spirit of God was overshadowing her. Would overshadowing and hovering not be really, really, really close together in meaning? The Holy Spirit of God is hovering over Mary. And I believe with all my heart, God just said, let Jesus be in her womb. I don't know how He did it. It was God's will. And as the Holy Spirit of God is hovering over her, just as God said, let there be light, there in her womb was the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God said so. Because God said so. Brother Steve, would you like to try to explain this? Yes, I would. But I'm going to let God's Word do the talking for me. Will you look at that verse? Would you all say that together with me this morning? For nothing will be impossible with God. Scientist, biologist, liberal theologians, doctors, people who work in labs and laboratories, want to try to explain a way that a woman cannot become pregnant without her egg encountering a sperm, are wrong when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit, being carried to full term and giving birth in the little town called Bethlehem just as God had sovereignly planned from the beginning of time. And Luke's telling us the truth. Luke is telling us that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. That God decided when the fullness of time had come that He would send Gabriel and He would tell Mary and He would tell Joseph what was about to take place. And He would inform them that the Holy Spirit of God shall overshadow you and you will become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the time is right... I'll graciously lead you down to a little town called Bethlehem and you'll give birth to the Savior of the world. We'll study that more in chapter 2. What are we supposed to do with all this? What are we supposed to do with all this? We're supposed to do with this what Mary done with this. Would you look at this verse, verse 38? Look what Mary said. Behold. In other words, I understand. I hear you. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. 
Wow. What would your life look like if every morning you woke up and said, God, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Would that not be the ultimate morning prayer? God, you're God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I'm your servant. Let it be. God, let it be in my heart. Let it be in my mind. Let it be in my life according to your word. How did she know what God's word was? Because the angel of the Lord spoke it to her. And she recognized that it came from God. And she believed that it was God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Would you stand with me this morning?